Amen, saints of God. Amen. As we <clears throat> endeavor to get into the word of God, amen, on today, let us again turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 5. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 5. Amen. The book of Nehemiah chapter 5. And we will find our scripture text today, amen, at the first verse of chapter 5. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 5, starting at verse 1, you find these words. And there was a great outcry of the people. And their, wives, and their wives against the Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, We have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There are also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our, our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. Today, saints of God, I just want to talk to you from the thought. Godly leaders and the money crunch. Godly leaders and the money crunch. Our historical context, amen, surrounding the book of Nehemiah, as we have reviewed and discussed in times past, that this is a time in the life of the Israeli nation, a time in specifically the Judean world, the kingdom of Judah, that they are in dire straits. They have been exiled to Babylon, amen. By 586 BC, the walls had been torn down and the gates had been burned, amen. The the Babylonian officials had drug off all of the choice men from them and took away those whom they desired to train up in their way. And they had left in Jerusalem, in that area, folk who were lame and halt, people who could barely work. Amen. It was a very dire situation in the life of Judah. But God in his Omniscience, God in his omnipotent power, in his omnipresent way, touched a man 800 miles away in the kingdom of Persia, amen, by the name 
of Nehemiah. We must understand that right in this time is also a transition period for the Babylonian kingdom as well. This time, amen, here in the fourth century, amen, Babylon is in trouble too because the Medo-Persians have now gotten control of Babylon as well. Amen. The supreme king, if you will, throughout the nations in the world around this time is Artaxerxes. And it is the king, amen, that Nehemiah works for. Wow. Now, isn't that interesting? When we think about the most popular words from the book of Esther, when we think about such a time as this. Such a time as this, it's Nehemiah, a Jew, who is poised and positioned to be the most important person next to King Artaxerxes, whom God has touched his heart, amen, to go and to deal with the plight of the Jews 800 miles away at Jerusalem. And we have found that Nehemiah is no special vocational leader. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not an apostle. He's not an evangelist. But he is a man that loves God. Amen. Once again, we must be reminded that this book is for all the saints. This is not a book exclusive to vocational leadership. Because in reality, all saints of God are leaders. Amen. God is just looking for a few folks that will follow him, that will say, here am I, send me. Like Isaiah said when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. <laughs> so we see Nehemiah having a heart for his people, amen, has gone back to Jerusalem to build. Through a, a sequence of circumstances and approvals and authorizations, amen, Nehemiah has been given leave from Artaxerxes and resources to rebuild the wall and the gates of Jerusalem. But this work is not without problem. This work is not without opposition because we got Sanballat the Horonite and Geshem the Arab. We've got, we've got Tobias around there. We've got Jebusites, Horonites, Perizzites. We got all kind of folk that are watching Judah, watching Jerusalem, and they don't have the rebuilding of Jerusalem on their minds. They are frustrated and they are furious by the very fact that the walls are being built back up. To be reminded that saints of God, when you're doing something for the Lord, that you will have enemies, that you will have detractors, that there are some folks will see you doing the work that you're doing and they will be very mad and very upset that you are doing something for the Lord. As a matter of fact, some of you may have realized already when you're on your job that you don't necessarily have to do all that much. Maybe you have a little placard or something that is sitting on your desk that lifts up the name Jesus, that exalts God. And folk will come by and smirk at what's on your desk because those who are outside don't understand and they are not on team Jesus. Amen. So you're going to have opposition when you do anything from the Lord. Expect it from the outside and even expect it from those that you're trying to help. Because the word of God to those who are perishing is an offense. Even though it's the thing that can save them. 
Amen. That's why God says in his word to us that we are to pray for our enemies. Amen. Because there are enemies in that the very fact that they are our enemies outside of the commonwealth of Israel, outside of the commonwealth of God, they don't understand the things of God. The things of God are strange and foreign to them, just like it was to us at one time. Amen. We might have been around the church. Amen. But the church had not entered inside of us. Amen. We have known about God, but we didn't know God for ourselves. We may have been able to parrot some of the things, but we had some walk and some talk that was a major offense to God. Amen, Amen church. Amen. We find out that in this world of sin, amen, that there are going to be boundaries, there are going to be issues, there are going to be problems when it comes to the household of God because we are pilgrims going through a barren land, amen. This world is not our home. But the good news is that even though we are in strange land, that Jesus Christ said, and lo, I will be with you even until the end of the age. That Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. What Jesus promised to do, he will do. And he is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Amen. So when we look at our text, we find Nehemiah once again in this building project running into more opposition. We've seen it from the opposition of his enemies on the outside. We've seen the opposition by internal issues as it relates to the person with discouragement. But now we're dealing with the issue of finances. Because this is godly leadership and the money crunch. If you notice that when we enter into chapter 5, there was an outcry. Not just a small one, but a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. That's important. Amen. This situation is not an eternal problem. I mean, an external problem. It's an internal problem. Well, This problem is not a result of the Horonites and the Jebusites and the Arabs. This is not a problem of Edomites, but this is a problem inside of the Jewish community. You see, the great outcry comes against their Jewish brethren. So we see right here that there's a problem that's resulting from their own kinfolk. Sometimes in the work that you do for the master, that you're going to have those who are closest to you, related to you, who give you a word of discouragement instead of a word of encouragement. Well. And there'll be sometimes those who are closest to you who will cause issue in your life to prevent you from being able to do what you are called to do. There will be stumbling blocks that get in your way by folk who are most close to you. Expect it. And don't be surprised and don't be a disillusioned when it happens because the devil is always on his job. And he will use any and everybody 
he can use to stop the work of God. So we see that in this text, amen, that, that there's a problem with the Jewish brethren. Uh, these who have come to work to build the wall to restore Jerusalem back to the place that it once was to protect it, to fortify is having trouble by their own brethren. Verse 2 says, for there were those who said, we are sons and our daughters are many Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. We got some folks hungry in the household of God. Uh, that's a serious issue, especially with the Lord. Because remember, these are his people who represents him unto the world. It is the people of God who ought to be the folks who are not hungry, who are not starving, who are not without, because God has given commandment to us to take care of one another's needs. So this is a serious issue, amen, and God is still calling us to that as well. There shouldn't be a time, amen, when the saints of God, of the house of God, amen, one is lacking major and the other's doing well. Amen. He said those who have much would give to those who have little that everybody be at equality. Amen. See, God is looking for people to represent him and God is not with lack. God does not short on money. The silver and the gold is his and the cattle on a thousand hills and the cattle as well. He says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell in it. See, God has no shortage of resources. Wow. Therefore, his people ought not either. But God sets up situations within his community of people, within his folks that some will have much and maybe some at some point will have little because he is looking for those who he's given much to take care of those who have little that everybody be at equality. Mm. It is a test, amen, of our love for God. See, everybody is not at the point to take care of much riches, amen. Right. Everybody's not in that place. Sometimes we get a little too selfish with our stuff, amen. We end up holding too tight to our ties, too tight to our offerings because we have other reasons why we want to use our money instead of using it for the things God has called it to do. But what we forget is that we are just stewards over that which we have been given in the first place. Even though we work on our jobs to earn it, amen, we could not do that if it wasn't for the grace of God. If God didn't wake us up in the morning, if God didn't put us in a right mind, if God didn't give us health and strength, we couldn't make a dime nor a dollar. Amen. So it is all the Lord's. We're just stewards over God's resources. Amen. So when we look at our text, we find that, that there were some folk hungry in the household of God. And there were some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There's a lot going on in this. Not only does Nehemiah have to lead, amen, in the midst of external enemies like the Jebusites, Hard Knights, and the Arabs, but he's also having to lead with people that are mistreating one another and they are all in the same family. Not only is he leading there, but he's leading in a natural or a, a environment where there is a famine. Most likely it's caused by drought. So Nehemiah is leading 
if you will, behind the eight ball. He's leading in a place where every time he looks around, there's another problem. There's another issue. Amen. And now you got three coming all at once. But this does not deter Nehemiah from the mission, nor should it you. The devil is a deceiver. Amen. He is a liar and he is a destroyer. What he wants us to do is get caught up in the material things which we can see instead of the immaterial promises that we should be believing. Well, See, God has set forth these people to do this work. Amen. And he did not do it based on their circumstances. He did it based on his promise. He did it based on who he is and not what they see. But the devil works on that front. He knows a lot about us, that we are sensual beings. In other words, we are those who work by what we can catch as it relates to our senses. But God is saying to us constantly not to live by sight, but to live by faith. Not to hold on to that which we can see, but hold on to that which we cannot see and that which God has promised. God has not sent them there to rebuild Judah, to rebuild Jerusalem, and has not given them everything that they need. But there are some problems of faith as well in this community that's resulting in the kind of conditions that they're dealing with. Let's go on a little further in the text and see what else we can find. We see that there are some that have have gotten their lands and stuff in hop. Amen. Their lands, their vineyards. They're trying to borrow money here in verse 4 to pay the king's tax. It's so interesting that the king that they're having to pay tax to is the king that Nehemiah works for. It is Artaxerxes now who is his dynasty of the Persian dynasty is now in in control of this, this region of the world. Amen. And there are taxes that are so burdensome, amen, for the people that they have put their lands and their vineyards in hock trying to pay the taxes. It's a bad situation when you got a money crunch trying to do a building project. It's a bad situation when the folks that you need to help build is hungry, is thirsty, is upset because their own folks is mistreating them. You see, it's hard to get some work done when you got those kind of conditions. But I said hard, but not impossible. Look at the text. We find that he says our, our flesh is as our flesh. He said our own people. Our own people are forcing our children, amen, into into slavery. And some of our daughters have already entered into slavery. And guess what? We don't have enough strength or resources or money or, or political influence or nothing else in order to get them out of it. They got our land and they got our vineyards and they got our children. But the problem here is who has them? It's not folk on the outside that has it. It's folk on the inside. It's God's own people. It's their own brethren, amen, who has their lands and their vineyards in hock. It's those that have them on lockdown, amen, and is forcing 
their daughters and sons to be in slavery to pay a debt that they cannot pay. See, one of the problems in this text is that the Jewish leadership, those who had fat wallets, amen, have now found a place where they can be selfish and covetous as it relates to their own people. They see another opportunity to make that almighty dollar. They see another opportunity to get richer. But what that shows is a failure in faith in God. Amen. Because they're not thinking about God. They're thinking about themselves. And saints of God, we can easily get caught up in that our own self. We can get out here running after the dollar and running after the things of this world. And before you know it, we ain't seen church. We ain't come to worship God. We ain't tithed. We ain't gave. We done nothing but what we wanted to do for ourselves. We have these visions of what kind of houses and cars and things that we want to obtain, how we want to build up our retirement accounts and what sacrifices we need to make for that. But we've forgotten all about God. Sometimes we can even use things that on the surface level are good things. Amen. Oh, we're working for our children's uh, uh, college education. And so we got to sacrifice here and go over here and do that. We don't have time for church. We don't have time for the things of God right now. But when we're done with all that, we'll get back to the things of God. The problem with that whole train of thought is you don't know how long you have. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. If you're going to do something for the Lord, you might think about doing it today. There is a lot of things that, that, that on, the, on the surface are great things, and, and they are. But they are not greater than the kingdom work. If we put anything before the work that God has called us to do, we've become idolaters. We've made idols out of stuff that is not God. And remember that the Lord is a jealous God and he will have no other gods before him. So you know the big retirement plan project and the 401ks and the college tuition and all of these things? When they come before God, amen, God is not interested in anything becoming before him. He has a tendency to snatch some folks out of your hand and out of your pockets, amen, in order to get your attention as it relates to him. You end up working and working and working and your ideas, everything on paper seems like it should be working out. But all of a sudden when you look, there is nothing there or it's lower than wherever you thought it would be. It's God trying to get your attention and saying that I'm the source of your things. I'm the source of your children, of your retirement. If there's going to be a retirement, but all of it that I must come first. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. See, God is looking for us to put him first. Amen. To put our plans and schemes down and to pick up the mission of God. See, God's got a way of blessing you with all this other stuff. Because it's all his in the first place. He can give it to you without struggle. Amen. If you put him first. 
Amen. He knows what you need before you even ask. He's not caught off guard by the situations you need for yourself and your children and your families and your future. Amen. Because your future is in his hands. Amen. So when you look at the text, you see that, that the folk who all know this the best is acting like they are pagans, acting like they're folk outside of the commonwealth of God, acting like folk that don't know anything about the law of God, and they're just going about doing stuff any old kind of way. We got everything locked up and tied up, amen. The fat wallets are getting fat on. But they forgot about God's word, amen, because these folks are people of the law. And God's word in Leviticus had already told them, amen, do not exact usury on your brethren. Do not charge them great interest, amen, but to give them and loan to them, but without interest, amen, that you do not put your brother in great debt, do not mistreat them in this way. And then he also instituted what's called the year of Jubilee. It is the year after the 49th year and every cycle since Israel was established, amen, that all debts would be freed. That every brethren that for whatever reason had holding debts on another brother would free them and give them all their stuff back again. Restoring the years that locusts had eaten. But they seem like they've forgotten all this. They seem like they'd never heard it before. And they are continuing to mistreat their brethren. Amen. And that's why in verse 6, Nehemiah says, And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. See, Nehemiah, amen, not a priest, not a prophet, not an apostle, not an evangelist, but he was a lover of God and he was a diligent student of God's word. He knew what was the problem. He knew what the problem was when he heard it because he knew what the law was. And he knew that people were setting the law aside for their own selfish reasons. Amen. But don't just get too upset with them right now because we can do these same things ourselves. And it can come up very subtly. Before we know it, we have, have, have abandoned the things of God for the almighty dollar. We have abandoned the things of God for a dream that we have, but it does not include the Lord. We have to be careful because these things will sneak up on us quickly. Amen. But the result is devastatingly terrible. The result ends up with things like this, where folks who have been starved because of the greed of somebody else. Could it be, amen, could it be that there are children of our families, amen, maybe adults now, still growing up, amen, who are being starved in the world? Because there is a place in the scripture where it talks about that it's not a famine in the land, but a famine of the word of God. There is a time when there was no priest in the kingdom. Amen. There was a time when they had been starved of the word. Word. So it's, could it be in our day, amen, because of our own selfish ambitions, because of our own selfish desires that 
Other folks are being affected. Other children and now maybe adults have been affected and been starved of the word of God because we have not led them to where they could eat. We have not provided them with what they need because we were so caught up in what we desired. That's all that has happened here. They have gotten caught up. Those who were under responsibility of leadership had gotten caught up in selfish desires. So when we look at our text, we see in verse 7, he says, after serious thought, I like that, because Nehemiah was angry. And there are times when you are going to be angry, when you see the injustices, when you see the inequity, when you see things that are just flat wrong amongst your people. But you got to hold your tongue. Amen. Because when you get angry, amen, you continue to say something before you think about it. Give it some serious thought. Contemplate it. Talk with the Lord and see how would the Lord want you to go forward with what you say about the situation at hand. Amen. Because in our anger, we want to do right, but amen, we can so easily do wrong. Amen. Give it some Serious thought. Because remember, you as a leader, you affect more than just yourself. Amen. Amen. And so after this serious thought, amen, he rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against him. As a leader, as God continues to use you in his mission and in ministries, there comes a time when rebuke will have to be. It's not a good time. It's not a fun time, but it's a necessary time. Sometime you're going to have to correct somebody. Amen. You're going to have to deal with an issue that needs to be rectified. You may get a big backlash from it, but you still have to do it. Because a lot of times we look at that and we say to ourselves, well, I ain't going to say nothing about that. Who am I to say anything about that when I ain't perfect myself? I, who am I to judge? That's what we say. But this is not judging. Judging is when you make the decision of one's eternal destination. Judging is when you say he's going to hell or she's going to hell or he's going to heaven or he's going to heaven. That is judging. You don't have that call. But what you can be, amen, first of all, is a fruit inspector. But second of all, you can be, you can be a rescuer of those who are about to be destroyed. Why do I say that like this? When you deal with an issue with somebody who's done wrong, who is doing wrong, you must realize that you are like one who is grabbing the hand of somebody who's getting ready to go over a cliff. You are like one who is keeping somebody from falling into their demise. Because when sin has its maturity, sin ends in death. Sin ends up in destruction. And when you can correct your brother or your sister and they get back on the right path, you have just saved them from a devastating event. So it's more like a rescuer than a judger because you love them enough to tell them the truth. Amen? Amen. 
It's not easy, but it's necessary. And it was necessary for Nehemiah to have to deal with the fat wallets, to deal with the nobles, to deal with those because they were wrong. And they were causing major issue and major pain on the people of God. So much so that it had stalled the work of God. I'm here to let you know when you got internal strife, amen, it can shut down the work of God for that community. Can't do nothing. Can't make any Thanksgiving baskets. Can't minister. Can't reach out. Can't do anything because internal strife is debilitating. It will shut you right down. It will cause your ministry, your community, your assembly to be able to do nothing. Amen? So we look at our text and we find out that when he said this to them, he said, and I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. See, Nehemiah's words were on point. And he had to deal with the leaders of that community because they had just been freed, amen, from a bondage in Babylon, amen, to come back to their homes and rebuild Again, it was enough that they had an external enemy, amen, that had them locked up. It's bad enough when the world treats you bad. But he said, but didn't they come home? They come into the household of God and then those who are there mistreat them? Could it be that those on the outside can't come inside because those on the inside will mistreat them? Are we so caught up in our own ways and our own things, amen, that we can be no earthly good to those who are perishing? These are God's people who have been freed and they got freed from one bondage just to be in another. Let us be careful, saints of God, as we continue in our lives as those who God wants to use and make sure that we don't get off track, amen, and become a hindrance and become a a problem and become a place of locking folks up in their minds because of the way that we're acting. The things that we have decided to put on top. So what we find out as I come to a close in this text, that this problem is really not a money problem, is it? No, it's a spiritual problem with the people. And the money problem is a symptom of a greater problem spiritually of the Jews. So that's a good point for each and every one of us to also observe. Our external issues, amen, our material issues that we see more likely than not is due to internal problems. Our problems with being able to do things materially outside, amen, is a problem of internals on the inside. So that's why we must always take ourselves to the Lord. We must always put ourselves in a place to be 
to be scanned and to be scrutinized by God because we want to make sure that it is not us that's the problem. Amen. That we are not the reason why things are failing. Even though they look like they're due to external sources, we find that they're due to internal. Amen. Resources of the church that may be failing is because people have decided that God's money is better spent somewhere else instead of the household of God. But let us not be accused of that thing. Let us not be those whom have been called out to be covetous. That have been called out to be those who have forsaken God and forsaken the things of God. But let us be those who run this race with endurance. Till the very end. Those who say that I will not line myself with the passing pleasures of sin. But I will run in obedience to God. Let us be like Jesus Christ. The son of the living God. Let us be like the one who created all things. Let us be like the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let us be like the one who for all intents and purposes could have stayed up in heaven. Let us be like the one who decided to empty himself. Let us be like the one Jesus Christ who decided that he put on human flesh and come down through 40 and two generations. Let us be like the one Jesus Christ who had every reason to stay up in glory. But he came down and he walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem. Let us be like the one who said that I will set aside mine own glory for a moment to take care of those who are in need. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, he walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem, giving sight to the blind, giving hearing to those who were deaf, giving speech to those who could not say a word. He gave walking to those who were smitten by the halt and the palsy. There was a man at the gate called Bethesda. Had been there for 38 long years. But one day Jesus passed by and told that man, pick up your bed and walk. Let us be like Jesus and be a help to those who are in need. Let us continue to be the light that so shines in the world that those ships that are tossed and driven by the angry sea that they can find refuge out of the storm for you and I have been the lighthouse. But let us not forget that Jesus was obedient even until the death on the cross. We have all been called by Christ to live a life till the day we stick our swords in the sand of time, to study war no more, to keep on being good to those 
who don't deserve, to keep giving to those who are without, to keep loving on those who are unlovable. And one of these days, you will get your reward. Your reward is not in its fullness here on earth, but you're sending up timber into glory. And one of these days, one of these days, Jesus Christ, he's coming back for you and for me. When he comes back, he's coming back with his crowns in his hand that he will give in that day. We shall be caught up in the twinkling of an eye. We shall be changed and we will be in that great coronation. It'll be howdy, howdy and never goodbye. So stay on board with the Lord. Don't get caught up in the material things of this world because eyes have not seen nor have ears heard nor has it entered into the hearts of men the good things that the Lord has for us. Be sure to remember to believe in God and also believe in Jesus Christ because in his father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, he would have told us. But he's gone to prepare a place for us. And one of these days, he's coming back for you and for me. That where he is, we shall be also. Ain't that all right, children? I'm looking toward that day when he'll wipe the tears from my eyes. No more knee pain. No more heartache, uh, but everything will be all right. Praise the name of the Lord, for he's so worthy to be praised. God bless you and God keep you. Amen.